0: Let me open with a word of prayer this morning as we get started. um, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for the the joy and the privilege of uh, studying your word, and Lord, particularly in the study of the fruit of the Spirit. God, we pray that you would continue to work in our hearts such to, to produce this fruit, God, to your glory. Uh, and God, as we sort of wrap things up this morning and, and, and talk about uh, many important things that you would just guide our, our minds and our hearts uh, to focus on you, we pray in your name. Amen. Okay, uh, this morning we're going to just wrap up in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. A couple things. Uh, you've heard uh, Josh and Noah and myself talk about reference different books uh, we we primarily used these two books as sort of a guide. Of course, we used other things as well. But Stanley Gale's book, A Vine-Ripened Life, is uh, one of the books that we use. The other is uh, The Character of Christ by Jonathan Landry Cruz. He's an OPC pastor in uh, Michigan. Uh, Gale is a PCA pastor. And uh, and The Character of Christ, you know, as we've gone through and talked about how the fruit of the Spirit reflects the character of Christ... Uh, Jonathan Cruz's book is the book that we use primarily for that. But anyway, we have those, we have a few copies on the Resource Center if that's something where you want to go back through and look at this topic of the fruit of the Spirit. Of course, we also have recorded the, the sessions and stuff so you can listen to those online. But this morning, I want us just to uh, to look at uh, Galatians 5, and 23 as we sort of wrap up this series and, and uh, talk about uh, just several things. It's almost going to be like three mini lessons or sermons sort of tied together, and hopefully we'll have the time to get through all this. Um, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now this series I hope you have picked up on, it's not a how-to series. So it's not a series on how to develop the fruit of the Spirit in your life, or, or how to be more godly, or how to be a more mature Christian. And if you just do these things, then you'll see the fruit of the Spirit more evident in your life. It's not really that kind of series. Uh, as Jonathan Cruz says, he says, Rather, it aim, its aim was to put forth the unmatched beauty of Christ. That's what we want you to see, the, the, the beauty of Jesus Christ as we went through each one of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And we'll come back to that whole idea of the beauty of Christ at the end of this lesson. But first of all, what I want us to do is to look at uh, this phrase at the end of Galatians 5.23, against such things there is no law. It'd be very easy to, to, to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, but not really think about that statement? I mean, I think we have to ask ourselves, and I want you to answer this if you'd like, as we think about this. Why do you think that Paul, you know, includes that phrase, against such things there there is no law? You know, how does this phrase sort of fit in the context of the book of Galatians? You guys are, are fairly mature believers and I think you probably have an idea of what the argument is in the book of Galatians so so how does this fit how does this apply why would Paul put this in here what's what's the problem in the church at Galatia
1: they've been listening to false teachers who have told them that they have to be circumcised and obey the law uh, of Moses in order to earn their favor with God. Yes,
0: yes. So they were being taught to return to the keeping of the law or through circumcision in order to be found acceptable to God. But Paul is saying, and he's really arguing here in Galatians 5:22 and 23, that the new man in Christ who has a new heart, right, uh, whose heart is ruled and, and whose life is ordered by the Holy Spirit, uh, is no longer in bondage to the law. You know, the law was there to be a tutor, a schoolmaster, as we see in Galatians 4, verses 1 through 6. But in Christ, we have been set free from the law. Now, in what aspect and in what way have we been set free from
2: the law? Christ has fulfilled the law. And so it's...
0: I'm
2: not sure where I'm going, Todd. Sorry. No, no,
0: you're, you're fine. You're on the right track. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Ben. I was going to say he's fulfilled
1: all the different parts of the law, but like the ceremonial law now has been fulfilled to the point that it's no longer needed. Right. The civil law uh, has some use for today, but overall... No longer you need it in the context that we're in, um, but uh, but then the moral law um, still has effect on our life, but not we're not under covenant works, under covenant grace. It's there to be a guide for us to teach us the views of the law, um, and so it's it's, it's yeah. he also he uses language of the um, slave versus the son, and. Uh, uh, before we were under age, we were under the law, uh, but now that's been done, and he's using that as the whole encompassing mosaic system, I believe, there, and uh, as a tutor. But now we have come of age, and we're no longer under that system.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's And good. then also just the context of the moral law and the fruits of the spirit. There's no contrary to it, the fruits of the spirit. If you're truly embodying fruits of the spirit, then you're completely meeting the moral law, regardless. So, it's also just saying there's no contrary here. If you're embodying fruits of the spirit, then you're embodying the law completely.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Hey, Ben, could you turn on the lights? I think we'll leave them on until we get to the end. Um, Yeah, if you think about this, that you know, in um, in in the ceremonies that the Old Testament points to, those realities that each one of those ceremonies signifies is now fulfilled in the Holy Spirit. You know, we are cleansed by the blood of Christ. You know, uh, all of those, uh, those realities are now ours in Jesus Christ. And, and as far as the moral law, um, we're free from the moral law in, in the sense that because Christ in His substitution and His righteousness and His death he has redeemed us from the power and the penalty of sin. And, and the Holy Spirit has transformed us and, and given us uh, different desires, a different disposition as His people. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't still struggle with sin, but now we desire to live in righteousness. And, and where God com- gives us His commandments, we no longer see them as a burden, but as a, a joy. To be obeyed. As the scriptures talk about the perfect law of liberty, um, it's a delight to uh, comply with the law of God. Um, so, in other words, the Christian life of obedience to God's requirements is not a sense of reluctance. And, kids, young people, I shouldn't say kids, you're young people. Young people, listen to me. You know, you can grow up in the church and you can listen to all the preaching and all the teaching and all the things that are said and you know and you can and you can know a lot of things about God and you can feel pretty good about yourself but you at the same time can also have a heart that is not zealous for God's word or to have a relationship with God you know you you can you can look good on the outside but on the inside if your heart has not been changed and the Spirit of God has not given you those new desires, then you'll feel sort of this tension in your life. And you, you see young people who grew up in the church from the time that, you know, they were baptized in the church, right, like it, it was just uh, last week. And, and then they get to be their teenage years, and, and they're wrestling in, in their faith. Or maybe they're not wrestling so much. Instead, they're really listening, living a duplicitous life. They're living one way at church, but, you know, the, uh, the, the desires that they have for the things of the world and the friends that they spend with and the conversations they have look very unchristian. And so, you know, it's the way you can tell if one of the ways you can tell if a person's heart has been changed is that God will begin to change their desires and, and what they set their affections on and what they love. And so as the Holy Spirit changes our hearts, there's that sense in which we surrender our thoughts and our affections and our wills to him. And so the Christian looks to God and he loves him because he's good and, and what he has, has done for us. And, and, uh, and he takes pleasures in those things that God commands. And so we see God's commands as uh, our, like friendly guides in one sense. Uh, to assist us in finding the way uh, that we should live our lives, that, that we understand that uh, viewing the law of God is something that keeps us from doing what we want to do because He's changed our desires. It no longer is restricting our pleasures um, or demanding a hard and painful service or are threatening us with extreme patience, but they help us to, uh, in the, our pursuit of true happiness in the world and in the eternal life to come. And so the heart, which is, uh, that we have, is now full of the fruit of the Spirit. As Chase said, there's there's not a contradiction between the law and the fruit of the Spirit. You know, that love, the joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these things that the, the Spirit is developing in us has been, uh, uh, has been converted from its natural tendencies of adversity to God to delight in Him and to want to obey Him. So the Christian is set free from the law, uh, not by the destruction of the law, because Christ came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it, but by changing the desire of the believer to seek to conform to the law because he wants to do so, because God has done that. So even in our struggle with sin, You know, for the Christian, there is still a desire to obey. That doesn't mean that we don't sometimes, we're not sometimes tempted to desire sin and and to follow that. And we may even give ourselves over to sin for periods of time. But for the believer, there will always be that work of the Spirit uh, to desire to obey God and to follow His law. So a life led by the Spirit cannot lead to uh, unrighteousness un- and to a licentious life, you know, nor does it lead to a legalistic life. It's, it's sort of like saying that uh, I have this uh, fountain over here that has fresh water, but I'm expecting salt water to come out of it. It just doesn't happen. If the Spirit of God is working in our lives, then our lives will uh, desire to follow the law of God. And so, you know, uh, I, I just wanted to make that point as, as we think about Galatians 5 because Paul has put that phrase in there. Any questions about that or any comments? I think that's probably pretty commonly known uh, uh, amongst uh, you. So I appreciate that little review and reminder that, that we might have uh, as believers. But I want us now to sort of look at you know, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and, and I hope I'm not taking this analogy, you know, too far. Uh, but, you know, I just sort of want us to think about the soil in one sense in which the, the fruit of the Spirit grows, okay? And, and I'm not trying to go beyond the Word of God or anything like that. So, you know, I hope that analogy doesn't trip you up or anything. But, you know, sometimes we talk about, especially people who love gardening and stuff, and I'm not that person who loves gardening But I have children who love to do that kind of stuff. And they talk about growing things organically and, you know, all the soils and having things just right and stuff. And I would say if you were going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, uh, it would be a grace-grown life. A grace-grown life. Because if, if we're going to see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we have to, first of all, by grace, be attached to the vine. You know, we talked about... At the beginning of this series, uh, The Vine Ripened Life, you know, from Stanley's book, you know, he, he makes that comment, you know, where, where Jesus in John 14 and 15 talks about how we need to abide in Christ, that we are like, the, uh, we are the branches on the vine. Christ is the vine. He's the one that gives us life. So, you know, first of all, we have to be uh, new believers in Jesus Christ by grace. But, you know, we sort of wrestle when we get beyond that, to say, what's this grace supposed to look like? Um, We know that sanctification is the work of God's grace by which we die more and more into sin and live increasingly under righteousness. But how does grace that rests fully on God yet involves us come into play? You know, there's sort of that relationship between what the Spirit is doing and what we are called to do. Um, and it's not like God does his part and we do, do our part, but it's that the work of God is so complete in us that it involves us as well. And so in the pastoral epistles to Titus, Paul sort of talks about this grace as it works. So if you want to turn to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, uh, Paul explains how grace acts to grow us in Christ, would somebody read uh, Titus 2, 11 through 14? For
2: the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessing, hope, the appearing of the Lord, of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works.
0: Okay, so um, Stanley in his book talks about how grace sort of works from three different vantage points in this text, okay? He talks about present grace, he's going to talk about future grace, and then past grace. And if you look at the text, you'll you'll see that division. Look at verse 12. He talks about training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now, uh, the ESV says training us to renounce ungodliness. Okay, Some of your translations... Maybe that you read, will say, teaching. And, And teaching is not a bad translation, okay? But it is the same Greek word that we find in Ephesians 6, 4, where Paul tells fathers to bring up their children in the discipline or the nurture of the Lord. And there is a sense in which as a father does that, he does teach his children, but he does more than just instruct them. He also trains them as well to do that. So God is at work tending us as a father to cultivate in us Christ-like character, okay? Training us, um, we see, to renounce ungodliness of worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now, um, you know, if we think about grace as a teacher... Uh, what is the lesson plan? What is, what is the, the goal in one sense that grace is seeking, that, uh, that God is seeking to work in us? And I would suggest to you it is to live in a manner that's worthy of our calling in Christ. Okay? We are to renounce all that characterizes us when we were dead in our sins. right? When we were in bondage and in rebellion against God. It, flip over, keep your hand in Titus, but flip over to Ephesians chapter 4, four and verse 17. Ephesians 4:17. Uh, Paul is instructing the church at Ephesus, you know, in and, and how they ought to live. And we see him, you know, uh, calling them to renounce all of those things that, that characterized their life before they came to faith in Christ. Would somebody read 17 through 20 in Ephesians 4?
3: Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy greedy to practice every kind of impurity but that is not the way that you learned Christ.
0: Alright, do you see that last phrase, but you have not so learned Christ? That's not the way that you learned Christ, was by living uh, as you did as the old man. And so grace calls us to, to turn from from our previous life of, of sin and and lead us into Christ's dependence, alright? It teaches us to abide in the vine. Now, why, why is that so important to, to emphasize? I mean, is that not like the ABCs of the gospel? You know, why do we have to make that point in, in the uh, religious culture in which we live today? Yes, Ben. Sorry. Well, okay. So you know, here I am making the point that you know what grace calls us to is to forsake uh, the old man, the life that we once lived, you know. And uh, and I and I and I said as we look at that, you'd think, well, duh, that's sort of the ABCs of the gospel, right? But I think that's an important point to make in the the religious culture. That we live in in America today. Why? Why is that the case?
2: Well, uh, I mean, a lot of a lot of churches, or more mainstream churches, have a unusually um, heavy emphasis on "come as you are," and it's just, it just stops there. Come okay. as you are. It, there's no call to there, there's no call uh, to become more like Christ. And it's, at, it's almost as if as you are is fine, you can just stay there. Yeah.
3: Okay? Well, even here in Titus, he, he gives us the answer. Okay. If you don't continually strive to put off the old self and to put on the new self, and you just wait for the day when Christ will come to get your new self, you become hardened in heart and you become callous. You don't even realize, because that's the definition of callous, right, is you lose sensation, and you don't even realize that it, there's a problem. Yeah. So if you're not constantly striving to put on the new self and abide in Christ, yeah. then yeah, so really you won't even realize there's a problem.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, good point, good point. Anything
3: else? Ben? I,
1: I was going to say a love what Chase was going to say. Yeah. Um, but a slightly different way. There are cultural reasons why we need to emphasize that, especially today. Um, but uh, it's always something that needs to be emphasized. Because it is something that our hearts are uh, prone to wander. They are prone to uh, put the conscience, to harden the conscience at times. And, uh, and, and I'm thinking of Second uh, Peter 1. Peter says he's always going to remind us about these things. You know, supplement faith and virtue and all these other things going on down the list. But also, um, there was a book that we went through years ago called Respectful Sins by Jared Bridges. A lot of the times there's those sins that we don't think of as sins. Like, we lose our temper just momentarily or something like that. And uh, and that is to part of our conscience over time when we give in to them. And uh, they they might be something that we don't think of as sins, that the culture doesn't think of as sins, but they are offenses against the Holy God.
0: Right. Yeah. And so, you know, be it, it is so easy to look out there and to see other churches maybe that are not really preaching the gospel, you know, at least not in the fullness of of what we see in the gospel. And we could say it's needed for that, but it's also needed for our own sanctification. You know, because we can even be tempted, you know, just to overlook the, the sins in our own lives and just sort of to cruise along or to think, you know, uh, I'm fine. There's, there's not a sense... Of, of training that that idea of training is there's intentionality there you know training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions are you training yourself uh, does you know are you walking in God's grace and allowing that grace to train you to do those things you know to forsake that that life that is before you you know the temptation even for the Christian can be sometimes just to cruise and, and what we don't realize is is there can be a sense in which if we're not careful, our hearts can be hardened as you guys said. So really, really good points. Um, so, you know, but, but we need to understand that God calls us to that dependence of, on Christ. We can really do nothing apart from Him. In, in Christ, we can do all things according to His power that is worked within us. You know, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling because God... Is at work in us. Um, so, uh, anyway, so that's that's our uh, our present grace. The future grace, then, he talks about in verse thirteen, awaiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now we live now. As a believer, we are to live now in light of eternity, you know, in light of what is to come. You know, we wait for that blessed hope. Here again, you know, so often in Christianity, the gospel has been reduced to how can the gospel just give you a a happier life here on this earth, which is really not what the gospel is about. So it's not about that. But if we understand the gospel as the Bible teaches us, it's something that we set our hope on. Grace has, has laid up for us riches and glory. Uh, ben referred to First to Peter. In First Peter we read that we have an inheritance kept for us, but we also see that God keeps us for that inheritance as well. Uh, that's all of grace. It is a gift of God's giving. The hope of eternal life is, is tethered to the grace of God and his saving purpose. Um, if you would, turn over to 2 Thessalonians for a moment, if you would. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, Thessalonians talks a lot about the letters that Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church. talks a lot about future glory. Uh, and, and if you look at Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11... Notice the role of grace in the finished product of God's sanctifying work. Would somebody read uh, verses 11
1: and 12? To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Okay, so you, you see that uh, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ, that you see God working in us to make us worthy of his calling and, and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Uh, so it is by God's grace. Would's, Chris, would you also uh, skip over to chapter 2 and read verses 16 and 17 as well?
1: Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word.
0: Okay, Just just take a moment to, to look at that. He emphasizes according to the grace or by grace these things are a reality in our life. Grace that flows from the throne of a sovereign God Floods our lives in Jesus Christ, brings bringing life where there's emptiness, uh, and uh, and uh, you know where there's barrenness. I'm trying to think of a word. He brings greenness, lushness. Maybe that's the term that I'm looking for. And he brings blessing in our lives where there's bleakness. It's just grace uh, works in us, and so by grace, God holds us in His hand. And nothing can snatch us from it. And and that's really important uh, as we live our Christian life. Why why might that be important? Maybe that's what I should ask. Why is it so important that we set our eyes on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? And what bearing does that have in our life even today? Yes, Ben?
1: A couple reasons. One, uh, we don't always exemplify the fruit of the Spirit. And if we're putting our hope on that, we're going to have a pretty miserable life. And then also, um, God said that we have an enemy in this world, and he is stronger than us. And, um, but the, the comfort of that is that he who is in us is greater than he who is in us. Um, so we put our hope and on God, and his grace towards us, are unmerited or even demerited favor. We haven't earned it. In fact, we've done the opposite.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Any other things that come to mind? as you think about our future hope. Well, there's a lot of things that, that we could mention. What, what Ben mentioned is, is true. And, and also, I think, you know, we struggle in this world. And, and because Satan is pressing in on us and stuff, we can become discouraged. You know, we can sometimes uh, fall into the temptation to look at our own works and then think you know, that we somehow, you know, God loves us more or he loves us less. But if we understand that he not only has saved us, but he's already secured a place for us in heaven. This whole thing of our salvation is a sure thing. You know, have you guys ever watched a movie and the first time you watch it, there's all this suspense and everything, and there's tension and you can feel anxious at points in the movie and everything because you don't know what's gonna happen. But you know, after you've watched the movie like ten times, then you're like, Yeah, I already know what's gonna happen. So, you know, it just sort of takes all that away because it's a it's it's a done deal. You know what's gonna happen. You know, and and it could be the same in our walk with the Lord, if we really think about what God has accomplished and and the hope that we have, we could say, wow, I know the ending, you know. And uh, that can help us in our trials. It can help us in our temptations uh, as we trust in the Lord. And so by grace, God holds us in his hand and nothing can snatch us from it. By grace, God holds our hand between here and glory. He keeps us safe against the dangers of this present age, the efforts of the evil one to retake us, and even the misaligned desires of our hearts at times uh, to follow after sin. And So the grace that that caught us up is the grace that attends our way, and it's the grace that will lead us home. And so uh, praise be to God for his wonderful grace. Now look at verse 14. Uh, He also uh, speaks about the grace in the past. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So after showing us the work of God's present grace and the certainty of future grace, Paul urges Titus to keep before those he pastors also the past grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace... Is bound up in the accomplished mission of Jesus Christ. Um, he has accomplished that for us. And Paul identifies in Titus two fourteen a twofold cause of Christ's mission. First, he came to redeem us from every lawless deed. Okay, he he came to to make rebels adopted sons and daughters of God. Boy, we could just stop and dwell on that for a while you know he has so changed our hearts that he's taken us from being enemies to being his beloved children he breaks the power of reigning sin in our lives and and he leads us as captives in his train turning us uh, from serving idols to know and to serve the true and living God so there's that sense in which he redeems us from those lawless deeds But there's also a sense in which he purifies for himself his own special people who are zealous for good work. So it's not just turning away from sin, but it's also grace so works in our lives to grant us new identities and new motives, new desires, if I could use the words that I used earlier when we looked at our first point. Uh, By the Spirit, the law of God is removed as a burden weighing us down. And now that law... Is written on our hearts. We become zealots for God and service to His kingdom. And so we see the grace of God that's worked in the past, that's worked in the present, and will work in the future. And it is that grace, you know, that will lead us home. Now, as we think about putting this together and we think about our own lives, uh, let me use an illustration, if I could, from Stanley's book. Uh, He said, when my older son, Luke, was in his first year at Geneva College, uh, he was signed a dormitory roommate, and he said the contrast between his roommate and himself was very glaring. Uh, Luke, uh, his son, was very diligent in his studies. His roommate, on the other hand, barely cracked a book, oftentimes didn't go to class, and and, uh, and likewise, or or as a result, I should say, uh, the roommate's... uh, Grades were very lacking. They reflected his lack of effort. He said, for both young men, the lessons were being faithfully taught by the professors. The difference, though, between Luke and his roommate was Luke showed up ready, willing, and expectant of being taught, and his roommate did not. Um, Stanley goes on, he goes, if grace is our teacher, it is incumbent upon us that we be good students, right? That we be good students. So uh, another way to say that is that we give ourselves, or we take advantage of the means of grace that God has given us, and and that involves. Uh, and I, young people, I want you to hear me say this too. It involves more than just coming to church on Sunday, or learning Bible stories in Sunday school, or. Uh, learning to speak the lingo of a good Reformed church so you understand all the theological terms. It's more than just knowing theology. Growing in Christ is not merely a matter of accumulation of knowledge about Him. It means growing to know Him. It means growing to know Him. And you know, that... I would love to do that exercise, not just with our young people, but with all of us, to say to you, tell me about your God. You know, not just a, a theological definition of who God is, but I want to hear the story of of who of what God has taught you from His Word and, and, and how you've seen that in your life, that you know God that he has walked with you. And, and that's evident from your answer. Um, as Peter closes his second epistle, he says in um, 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. And so if we are to, you know, if we want to think about what do we do You know, as as we think about the fruit of the Spirit, you know, we don't produce that fruit in us, the Holy Spirit does, but we do abide. We do abide. We do rest in, we remain, and regard our Lord in all things and at all times. Uh, We need to sit at His feet and learn both what He says and the heart by which He says it. We need to know Christ. We need to not be taking the scriptures and saying, what can I get away with? What can I do? What do I have to do? It's not that. It's like, I want to know what my Savior wants. We need to grow in submission to Him, being dependent upon Him and delighting in Him. The problem is, and for some people this is a big problem, a major way of abiding in Christ is through prayer. Um, Prayer as a means of grace, as you know. Um, and I like the way that Stanley puts it. He said, "It is prayer is the digestive juices to the reading of God's Word to our spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. It is the digestive juices. In other words, we can just hear the Word of God and and we can walk away and we say, okay, I know that, that's in my head. But, but to know that in such a way that it's also in your affections and it affects your will it oftentimes involves prayer. And taking that word and and praying it to the Lord and, and trusting in Him and worshiping Him. And through wrestling with understanding God's word and the application of it, uh, we do that by prayer and communion with our Lord. And to the degree that we neglect prayer, we are derelict as students of God's grace. Let me say that again. To the degree that we neglect We are negligent in prayer. We are derelict as students of God's grace. Without prayer, we see ourselves in the mirror of God's word, but we quickly forget what he has shown us of ourselves in it. If prayer is not a tool of our learning, then the doctrines that we learn can become cold and dry and bland and irrelevant. We have left our first love. We may be attached to the vine, but we're not abiding in it for the fruitfulness of our Father's desire. So prayer reminds us that abiding is not just being connected to a source, right? But what it means is to live in communion with with our God, to know Him and to love Him, to, to abide in sweet fellowship with Him. Uh, even expressing our fears, expressing our struggles and our walk with the Lord. And so we cry out to Him and hear the assurances of His presence and peace and provision. Uh, So, anyway, I'm going to stop there. There's more that I have to share under that, but I want to try to cover the third point very quickly. Is there any questions about that whole idea As, as we think about the fruit of the Spirit? It is the Spirit that produces that in us, right? But... We must abide in Christ. Um, let me just make one other point. Without prayer, uh, an effort to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and instead to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, if we don't pray, then we'll be doing that in our own strength. And we will find ourselves struggling over and over and over it will also not only be in our own strength, but on our own terms and to our own ends. And so it's so important as we seek to, to put off that old man, as we seek to walk in the new man and who we are in Jesus Christ, that prayer bays our life. The result will be fruit that's... Uh, if we don't do that, then the, fruit, the result will be fruit that's underdeveloped, malnourished, and not or maybe even almost non-existent and so uh, as, a, as believers we need to do that uh, enjoy our grace. okay finally uh, in a possible task, the unmatched beauty of Christ okay if Jesus uh, as we think about this series, It is to talk about what the Spirit of God is doing in our hearts. But it's also for us to behold the matchless beauty of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is unremarkable to you, then you're not viewing him through the eyes of Scripture. You're not seeing him as he is. Scripture tells us that Jesus wasn't particularly physically attractive. We see that in the book of Isaiah. And yet his beauty shines in his character. Um... You know, as we have looked at these virtues from Galatians 5, and I hope you'll go back through and just read those and and think about those and and how they are reflected in the life of Christ. We have been uh, really considering the beauty of Christ as we've done that. Uh, We've seen uh, Him love the loveless. We've seen Him feed the hungry and heal the lame and forgive the reprobate and be gentle towards the lowly. Uh, In all these ways, we share the astonishment of the crowd who uh, cried out, He has done all things well. Because in Christ, there is true beauty. And the person in the work of Christ uh, is true beauty. And so the question really comes in for us is, do we see that beauty of Christ? Do we see that beauty of Christ? Do we love Him? Do we... Do we uh, desire Him? Do we see Him uh, as, as uh, valuable, as, as a treasure of our heart? It takes the eyes of faith to see the beauty of Christ. God doesn't call us just to know Him in sort of a general, generic way. He calls us to know Him in His nuances, in his, in his nuances. In, in His completeness, I don't want to imply God has parts, but I'm just saying He wants us to know Him specifically. That's what I'm trying to say. We we um, we need to uh, understand that. And the wonderful thing is, is that when we take hold of this beautiful Savior by faith, He makes us beautiful as well. As we are beholding His beauty, and we see His love, and we see His joy and we see His gentleness, and we see His self-control, uh, and, and we're praying, Lord, make me like You. He will do that. And it starts gradually, right? It starts gradually, but God's Spirit does work in that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So we are all being transformed before his children to be like Jesus Christ. Slowly, but definitely, uh, it is happening. And Paul goes on to explain in the verse how this explicitly is the work of the Spirit. He says at the end of verse 18, 1 Corinthians 3, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So God sends His Spirit to be our converter, to, to change us, right? Um we all know that the Spirit will conform us uh, to be like Jesus Christ, okay? But sometimes we we struggle with that. Sometimes we wrestle with that. Our doubts and our own continual failings in the Christian life uh, calls that into question for many of us. And some may even have wrestled, especially maybe some of you young people have even questioned, am I even a believer? Can, Can I even know for certain if I am a follower of, of Jesus Christ. And so you have wrestled with that. And, uh, you know, um, and, and, and I understand that. But at the same time, there is a sense in which God is definitely bringing about uh, a change in our hearts. And it's a, it's a change that is, is permanent, that the Spirit permanently takes up residence in the heart of true believers which means that the image of the very Son of God has been permanently placed upon us. I don't know if you ever think about that. But because the Spirit dwells in you, He will make you like Christ. Conformity to all of the beauty that is in Jesus Christ will take place. The fruit of the Spirit is inevitable to those who have the Spirit of God. So it's not, will this happen, but it's when it happens and the degree to which it happens. Um if we have Christ, we have his character too. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, So we do not lose heart, Paul says, though our outward, outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So this morning, what I want to do is to encourage you not to permit your sin to tell you Otherwise, don't let your sin tell you otherwise. Satan is the great deceiver. He is the great condemner. He is there accusing you. And, and, and he is right, oftentimes, in the things he says. At least, to some degree, there's some truth in there, in, in the things that he accuses us. But do not permit Satan or sin to tell you that you will not be changed by God. This is the truth that we cling to until one day the renovation of the Spirit is complete and we will be with Him in glory. And so keep your eyes on Him. Uh, Sin will be entirely eradicated in our hearts. One day goodness will flow freely from our affections and our actions. I know that may be hard to to believe now, but one day that will be the case. And why? Why? Because John says, we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And so, seeing Jesus by faith now begins that work. But one day we will see Jesus face to face, and that work will be complete. So so for now, Christians, behold the perfections of your, of your Savior and the inspired Word. Let us begin now to contemplate the glory of Christ, that which will occupy our sights for all eternity. See His character. Spend spend time learning His heart. Worship His virtuous ways in which He has provided salvation and know that those graces that He so wonderfully exhibits, the Spirit has begun to form in your heart as well. And so give praise to Him. Give worship to Him for what it is that He is doing. Do this and, and you will share for certainty uh, what Paul says in Philippians six. And I just want to close with this. And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? It's a done deal. We have the hope of future grace, brothers and sisters. Let us walk in that. as we keep that in mind as we walk this life in this, in this world, as we go through the struggles and the temptations, let us know for certain that God is changing us and bringing about the fruit of the Spirit in those who are His children. Let's pray. Lord, what a great precursor to worship. To come before you, God, and to, to lift up our voices in praise to you uh, as we think about not only what you have done and what you will do, but what you are currently doing as well. And Father, uh, we just want to thank you for, for electing us and, and sending your Son and, and Jesus for sending the Spirit to be with us uh, and to dwell in us and to bring about this change. Oh Lord, please speak to the the soul today who is struggling with assurance to wonder, does God love me? You know, uh, may they see, God, they see your great love and know you. Lord, may we grow in prayer uh, to commune with you. Uh, uh, Not prayer exclusively, but coupled with your word and the sacraments of the church as well. God, to see the reality of Jesus Christ in our lives. We thank you, Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen.